In today's show, we're going to be talking to Max from Nineworks Radio and Group C fame. We'll be talking anything and everything to do with cars. Welcome to Porsche Talk Podcast. Hello, Ajmal. Hello, Max. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Welcome to our little conversation we try to drop in relatively once a week. How are you going? What are you doing? Well, thanks for having this. This is exciting in my life. Thanks for uh, inviting me to come on. It's good to be here. <laughs> More than welcome. Well, it's not often that we get such, you know, Porsche podcast royalty on. That's you. <laughs> come on. No. Get out of town. Well, the reality is... We've had Lee on a couple of times, and you guys have great banner, and I really miss one of your your own podcasts here on Nine Works Radio. So I thought we should get Max on. He sounds like a pretty cool cat. Yeah, Lee's Lee's definitely the gaffer. He's in charge. I just uh, yeah, I just slipped in through the back door, and now they can't get rid of me. <laughs> so how how did you meet those guys? Um, through Instagram, really. Um, I mean, I was a uh, a reader of Total 911 magazine, like I'm a reader of every other magazine. And, uh, you know, through the power of Instagram, I, you know, it's a funny thing, Instagram, isn't it? Good and bad, or social media, gives you access to people in a way that you would never have had it back in the day. I know that can be pretty toxic and bad for in some situations. But for me, you know, it enabled me to strike up a relationship with Lee through, you know, commenting and pictures and messages and, and that sort of thing. Um, that was a sort of 996-997 debate, first of all. I had a 997 at the time. He had his 996-C4S. And I offered up, I was pretty proud of my 997, and I offered it up uh, should he ever wish to uh, produce any 997 content for T911 magazine. And then six months or something after we had that conversation, he sent me a note saying, um, we are doing something with a 997. We'd like to use your car. Can you be at this location at this time on Thursday next week? Um, and I said, yeah, for sure. Uh, so I went along and, and, I, and I did that and I met Lee and Kyle Fortune, who was writing that article, uh, and Louis Ruff, who was doing the photography. So I hung out with those guys. They used my car. It got in the mag. And that's sort of how I then struck up what became a friendship with Lee. And then um, then I got myself on the uh, on the books of the Leg Living the Legend uh, column, you know, the sort of readers, readers' rides kind of thing that they do in T911. So we became friends through that. Um, but I got on the podcast... You know, podcast came around because of the Group C thing. They invited me on the podcast because of that. Um, so that's how I first got on there, and it just kind of built from there, really. So, uh, yeah, the power of Instagram, what can I say? Yeah, well, uh, Ajmal and I oh, met through right. social media as well, haven't we, Ajmal? Yeah, we did. We, I think it was more, I mean, was it, did we really meet through Porsche Called, wasn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, it seems like a throwback to a different time. But, um, I mean, meeting through the magazine that and, and Instagram, um, that's kind of more, I thought you were going to say we went to school together or something like that. <laughs> but, I'm about but 10 yeah, years older than him. I'll take that as a compliment. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. for us, it's, I mean, the bizarre thing is, Mark and I have been doing this, what, for about a year now? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, bizarrely, we've never met in person. Really? <laughs> because, obviously, we're on opposite sides of the, 
the world. Yeah. Mark lives in Perth. I'm in I'm in the southeast of England. And it's the way it's grown. I mean, the way that Mark's making these plans, we could end up meeting for the first time in the US somewhere. You're gonna tell Max about right. your plan to do a trek across the US Mark. <laughs> that sounds cool. Yeah, well, I'm I'm hoping to uh you know, put together a plan that we're going to meet in New York, buy some banger Porsche, drive across to Rensport. Oh, brilliant. And then dump it at the airport when we leave. Blimey. Not, I didn't think they were that. that what sort of banger Porsche <laughs> is it? How's, how bang is it going to be to abandon it at the airport? Look, look put it this way, it couldn't be worse than the box turd that uh, Ajmal recently had. The box turd? <laughs> The box turd, yeah, Max, you won't you won't have heard of that. So I my my daily is uh, a 996, a 1998 base Carrera C2 um hardtop manual 996 Ooh, that I bought lovely. three and a half nearly four, nearly four years ago. I bought that for six and a half thousand pounds. And I did it as a a bet with a friend that you can go and buy cheap modern 911s now. They're easy to buy, easy to maintain. And I said I'd keep it for a year and I'd buy the cheapest one on Autotrader. So it's nearly four years now and it's been going strong, such words. And um, But then I tried to do the same trick with a Boxster. Oh, I'm just going to buy the cheapest Boxster going. And um, I, I bought one off eBay without looking at it. I bought it for two thousand two hundred. Got it shipped to my uh, to Flat Six Jack over in Reading, and it's it was the quite honestly the biggest piece of shit that I'd ever seen. And I'm hence, surprised I didn't catch some disease off it. Hence, box turd, Max. Yeah, yeah, That's, it all makes sense. Yeah, and I and I I paid sort of probably two and a half thousand pounds to get it to a point where. It would go through an MOT, and then I sold it for eighteen hundred pounds. <laughs> this is just so, karma for how cheap you bought your nine nine six four. You know that, don't you? I know that. That's kind of. I thought, oh, this is this is why isn't everybody doing this? This, and then I do that with the boxster, and then you realise this is why nobody's doing this because it's stupid. So, so that's well, it sounds stupid, but it worked with the 996. So, were you lucky with the 996 or just unlucky with the box star? You've, oh, I think you've it... got to go again, you've got to go again. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit of both because I, I think I was very lucky with the 996. I mean, it's frosty as hell. I, I think Lee's seen it in person when um, we did the, the fried eggs uh, meetup uh -huh. in. Or somewhere like that. I can't remember where. Lincoln. Can't remember where it was actually. Um, a couple of years ago, and he saw it in person then. But it's pretty crusty to look out, but it drives great. It's great fun. I love. It's my everyday car, and I think it's fantastic. But with with the Boxster, it was just. I, I was. I think I was just really unlucky because there's lots of them around for that around about that money at the time, and that one was just beyond. Awful. It just should have been. I should have set fire to it. I really should have done. Deary me. Deary me. I've never done. I often think about doing things like that. 
the thing that I look at in that space, and I never do it because I'm just uh, probably a bit too boring or sensible to do it. I look at the, the cheapest KN turbo <laughs> that I can find. <laughs> that one that's, what I, that's what I look at. <laughs> Mate, so, I could have yeah. cost you two thousand bucks just for the brake pads on a KN turbo, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's, that's why I've never done it because you know I, I look at them, you know, and, and they aren't super cheap. And I've been looking at them; they're still like you know seven or eight thousand pounds. But I think, God, you know, I think what how expensive that would have been when it was new. And I think, ah, oh, I get all excited, and then I just think, well, it's stupid. Don't do it. So I haven't yet done it. Maybe you should do it. Maybe you should. Well, do it. I don't. I mean, I've got. <laughs> Well, I thought about so I, I quite often do that thing where I go into an auto trader and my only filter is Porsche, and then I, I and I sort it by the cheapest. Well, at first I sort it by distance. What's the nearest to me? Uh, but yeah. then you get caught out because the the obviously Porsche Reading is five miles from me, so you okay. get all of those come up. But then, um, but then I I sort by the cheapest, thinking, well, if I go and buy the cheapest one, no matter what it is, and just see what happens. And do you know what the the first one that always comes up? It's always KNs, and it's oh. always you know the ones that are there's something wrong with them, or sometimes people say it's two thousand pounds and there's nothing wrong with it, and you think, of course there's something flipping wrong with it. <laughs> of course there is. Why is it two thousand pounds? Well, so it's, the starting point is that it's got a full savannah interior. Savannah. That's that's a lot of savannah in a KN. It is. It's like how how many how many animals died for this vehicle to exist? I know, and not work. Yes, that's right, and not work. That's exactly right. Yeah. I, um, Max, for your sake and for new listeners, because we're hoping to actually get up to five listeners on this episode. It, uh, the I thought it would take the chance to exp- let you know what cars Ajmal and I actually have. So Ajmal's got yeah, the nine nine. Yeah. Ajmal's got the nine nine six. And what else, Ajmal? Uh, I've got nineteen sixty six nine twelve, and I've been very happy recently hearing Jerry Seinfeld tell the world how great they are. Uh, but then mine broke, so you know it's not like it's being used every day. Um, and I couldn't go and get my Christmas tree with it because it doesn't work. I've got a roof rack, which I haven't put on it. Um, but those are my two cars. So the box turd's gone. And yeah. Mark has... I've got a 1963-56B coupe in ruby red with black interior, which I've had for about 11 That's years nice. now. Yep, it's a great little car. It's had a full mechanical restoration in my time, but the body and paint is was last done in about 85. But it presents quite nicely. It photographs well and... You know, it's only real nutcases that go, oh, God, look at that, because they actually know where the things aren't right on the car. Um, but it looks very pretty. Uh, I've also got a 2016 981 GT4, which is my daily, which is a cracker of a car. I looked at other cars of the era in the Porsche stable, and after driving them, settled on that one. I Yeah, I, I, it's probably the most exciting car I've owned in a long time. And you drive that every day. Has it got bucket seats or sofas? No, no, it's got the full lightweight buckets and PCCBs wow. as well. No messing. Yeah, so um, I, I know the guy that bought it brand new. I've only had it for maybe six or seven months, I think, and it's in the spec I would have ordered one had I bought one back in 2016 new. So that's oh. that's like, 
that's why that was a big push for me as well because there's no way I'm buying a GT car without lightweight buckets in it. I don't care how hard they are to get in and out of. Yeah, yeah. My um, no, that's so nice. They're not that popular with my wife though. I'll be straight up with you. Huh. They're um, they're made for yeah. uh, my size hips, not childbearing hips. No, I got I got I got into a Cayman once. I was at Porsche Centre somewhere. I can't remember what I was doing there, just lurking about, and they had a Cayman. It wasn't a GT4, but it had buckets. Yes, and I thought I'm going to have a little sit in that. So I got into it. Um, and it's quite a small aperture, isn't it? You know, it's not a big space. And I was, I was sitting in this seat. I was thinking, how the hell am I going to get out of this car without crawling on my hands and knees out onto the showroom floor? So I sat there for a little while trying to think about it. And then in the end, I just kind of got out and crawled out onto the showroom floor on my hands and knees and then quickly stood up, shut the door and walked off. So uh, you stalled it out. You're a brave... Yes, I tried to style it out, but you're a braver man than me, Mark, I've got to say. To give you some perspective, I'm like five foot zero tall and I weigh about 60 kilos. So in the scheme of things, they're probably better suited to my stature than most. Okay, okay. uh, I would say there is a technique and your your story about getting in out of them, I've heard from several people. So might be an opportunity to do a bit of a... uh, a YouTube video on how to get in and out of lightweight buckets of a cabin. I think there could be something there. Well, should do. There's mileage in that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think there is as well. <laughs> Although, in saying that, well, it's interesting to say about the aperture because I've sat in I've sat in the um, buckets in a oh, what was a 997 GD3 RS that was fully caged and it had the race buckets in it, and I actually found the cage harder than the buckets to get in and out of. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> I the, thought I thought Max was going to say um, that he accidentally got into a Cayman and he thought how frightful uh, because he's a nine eleven purist. But but I've never been in one. I've never been in one. I've never Cayman. been near one. Yeah, really? No, I oh, haven't. You know, it's minus five degrees in the UK right now as we speak, and today it's probably going to be about thirty three, thirty four degrees here in Perth in the next couple of hours. Why don't you just bring the family on a summer holiday and I'll just let you can use it while you're here? It's too there you go. It's too I'd have to fly. I'm waiting, I'm waiting for Elon Musk to design those rockets that fly up in a straight line and, and then the earth turns really fast and they come down half an hour later. Well, the earth's gonna turn at the same Australia. speed it always does. I, su- I suspect he's not gonna be able to change the speed of the earth as much as Elon would probably think he can. Yeah, well well, yeah, he probably can. But uh, thinks he can, but it's going to turn really fast as it's turning anyway. But the rocket's going to be up in space. It's going to come back down half an hour. You know, we'll meet for brunch. <laughs> I reckon getting there and preparing for it would take you about twelve hours. So by the time you've done that, you could have flown here. There, there, well, there is it that. might be. What you could do tomorrow is you could go to Porsche Centre Reading, see if they've got something in there for you to try and get yourself into, and you could make a little YouTube video as well. Your first time, first time getting in and out of a Cayman with uh, lightweight buckets. They're bound to have something in there that you can uh, get yourself into. 100% they would. Oh, I wonder if they've got the GT3 RS still there. Oh, yeah, because they're definitely going to throw the keys of that at you, aren't they? But that doesn't doesn't solve the problem of you never being in a Cayman, getting in the GT3 RS. Doesn't do that. I just can't sit in all of them. I'll sit in all of them. (laughs) What, like a 12-year-old? You know, when you were young, yeah, I'll, I'll wear clean clothes. <laughs> yeah, I'll wear clean clothes and everything. 
You'll have muddy shoes, when, though, because of the weather. When's, when's one too old to not be able to go to a dealership and sit in a car and just, like, make broom noises to yourself quietly? Well, I know how old I am, and I've got, I know how old Ashbal is. I'm not sure about your age, Max, but I would suspect between the three of us, we're all, we'd all be capable of still doing it. Like I'm, so. I'm, I'm half a starter, you know. To like, and preferably, showrooms have got really expensive cars in them. You know, like a Lambo Center or a McLaren place, and just just go and sit in every car in every seat. Well, I um, I went to the Porsche Center because a friend of mine who's got a nine nine seven, and I thought for his birthday I would get him the full. I'd get him a Porsche mug and a cap. So he'd, you know, obviously look really cool <laughs> driving in his Porsche cap. So I went to the uh, Porsche Centre Reading and I was with my daughter who would have been at the time about four. And she runs in and she was a bit of a car nerd then because she had a car encyclopedia. And the sales lady comes down and says to her, what's your favourite Porsche? And she said, well, it's a 911 because daddy's got one. And she... um. So, but she goes, but there's only 718s everywhere. I can't see her because obviously they've got the names on the number plates. I can't see a 911. And the sales lady said, I've got a key in my pocket. If I press the button, whichever car it unlocks, you can go in it. And she presses it and it opens a 911 that's in the corner. And I didn't even look at what 911 it was. I just, all I saw was that it was 311,000 pounds. Mamma mia. And I, so all I could think was, oh, God, please, please don't go and put a footprint on the dashboard. She's <laughs> <laughs> just open the door. My daughter's like climbing in, clambering all over the seats. And all I could think, I'm just sweating. £300,000. Now, you guys got cheap cars, so that's going to be a special one. Yeah. What was mm. that? Like a GT2 RS or a Sport Classic or a 911R? What, what could it have been at that sort of money? I'd have to I, know, it was, I could only see the roof of it from where I was, but I suspect it was something like that. Because of where it was, it was in the window, so it must have been. And it was just surrounded by Caymans. But um, but because I live not far from a Lamborghini dealership, and I've been in there with my daughter, and I just walked in, and, and the salesperson comes up, and I'm, I'm instantly like, I'm not here to buy anything. There's no point talking to me about it. <laughs> Oh, my daughter just runs around like crazy all over the place. So it's one of those things where you could go and just have a look around. It's it's, and the great thing is, uh, Jack used to work there, Flat Six Jack. So he knows people there. So if if you if I actually if I bought a really cheap the cheapest Lamborghini in England, then I, I'd be able to take it there. What would it be? What what do you reckon the cheapest Lambo in the what model do you reckon it would be? Max, for the cheapest Lambo in the UK right now without going on Auto Trader? Must be a Gallardo oh, so subscription, mustn't it? Oh, what about something like an Esparta or something really kooky like that? So now I think Espartas are more money now, aren't they? Are they? Yeah. They shouldn't be. They're ugly. I'm doing it. You're doing I'm it right now, eh? Uh, on that thing. <laughs> they're they're looking they're on that thing. I know. You know, oh, I don't know. Then what about, now? Nah, it could be something like a Yelper. On, uh... What about a Yelper? Oh, when's the last time you saw one of those? If if there's one on 
auto trader, I'll eat the proverbial hat. Oh, this is going to be good. We turn, we, well, firstly, listeners, he's got his camera turned off, so we won't be able to witness his hat consumption. <laughs> I tried to get the camera going again, but it won't come on. That's okay. Hey, um, you're, you're the expert here. You're the professional, Max. We're just like playing <laughs> at being podcasters. Not when it comes to tech, I'm not. <laughs> hey, um, Max, what car slash cars do you have in the garage yourself? I've got three cars at the moment. The longest standing car in the garage is a 2013 BMW 335i Touring. Yeah, okay, good one. So I've had that for, I don't know, quite a few years now. Um, That was our daily. I bought that to run alongside the the 997. So I had the 997, got the the Beamer. So that's a great car. Um, But I, I sold the 997 during lockdown, during first lockdown, and bought, um, oh, actually, no, I bought the other one first. I've got a 991.1 C2S. So nice. I bought that during first lockdown. So that's a nice car. Is that a PDK and for car? Brand, it is a PDK car. Yep. Intentionally. Yep. You know, I thought if I was going to buy that, PDK was the right way to go. And I quite fancied PDK as well. So I bought that from a local specialist to me called RPM Technic. And it's anthracite brown metallic. Ooh, so it's nice. a pretty unusual colour. I like I like um, brown nine elevens. Yeah, it's pretty smart. It's quite a grey brown, if that makes sense. Sure. So in 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 some lights, it's not a million miles away from a gate's grey. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not as it, it's not as brown as macadamia. You know, that's a proper brown. Yeah. But still, you know, it's you know, it's a, uh, so that's nice. And it's got a um a sort of two tone pebble and. Uh, a gay interior. It's a real smart. That's that's a nice car. So I, I kept them both for a while. Then I sold the, the nine nine seven and bought a diesel Macan. So I've got a Macan S diesel. Yeah. Okay. Um, which I've had for just over a, a year now. The idea being that the BMW would be sold and we just run the two, but the BMW is still hanging around because it's such a good car. And and the Macan hasn't been that reliable. I've got to say, hasn't it? Um, disappointingly, no. It's a, it's a it's a two thousand fifteen. Um, and it didn't have that many miles on it, only 30,000 miles, so not not a huge mileage in that sort of time. I bought it from a, a Porsche centre, official Porsche centre, and I'm pleased I did because that means I've got a two-year warranty because they've had it back two or three times oh, yeah, for different things. Yeah, OK. Yeah, yeah. The strangest thing I had actually was the first thing, and it was a real, it really kicked me in the nuts because I was driving up the dual carriageway back home in it one day hadn't had it that long thinking what a fantastic car it was and how pleased that I bought it and then suddenly the dashboard lit up um and uh I had a it was an ABS sensor failure that turned it from four-wheel drive into rear-wheel drive only which is very strange I didn't think I thought it was a bit more mechanical than that I didn't realize that that sort of thing could happen from a sensor failure uh so they fixed that under warranty. And then I had a problem with the AdBlue uh, system, you know, for Euro 6 compliance for emissions. And at the same time as getting that sorted out, I had to get the transfer box done, oh, which is the goodness. classic McCann KN thing. All those things were done under warranty. And thank God for that, because I don't think I've been able to afford to keep the car without that. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's been pretty disappointing, I've got to say, all within a year. Did you say the transfer case is a common McCann KN issue? I think it's it's the sort of known. Yeah, okay. You know, it's kind of like the the RMS issue. I think it's probably not as prevalent as you'd think it is for 
um, you know, looking at it online. But if it happens to you, it's a real pain in the ass. And if you have to pay for it, I think it's quite expensive. That's why this two thousand pound uh, KNs all over Auto Trader. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> and you know those cheap turbos that you keep seeing. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's probably about a five thousand pound part of transfer case for a Porsche, I reckon, as well. It would be a killer. I think it is quite a lot of money. Well, I know how expensive um, they are in the Japanese four wheel drives that we have here in so many of if, in, here in Australia, you know, like the the transfer case is gold plated. It's like yeah, half the car's yeah. value. I mean, I, I, I have to admit, having had those things done, especially the transfer case actually, the McCann, I got a touch word. Um, the can it's it's really nice now. The mechanic, you know, it romps along. I know diesel, you know, it doesn't make an interesting sound or anything like that, but it really strolls on, and it's a really nice car. I do, um, yeah, I do like it. I well, really so, like it. I think the diesel in a mechanic, even a KN, is probably more suitable for what the car's intended for. Like, you know, Ajmal's always on the rant if you've ever listened to any of our previous episodes about how SUVs aren't sports cars and can everyone stop trying to make them sports cars. Right, so, you know, and hence why Range Rovers are so popular because they're not trying to be sports cars. But the, you know, so if you want the Porsche, well, not so much in your case, reliability and comfort, but, yeah, comfort and those types of things and the ergonomics. I I get why people buy McCann's and KN's, but, you know, making them try and go fast, don't get me wrong, there's a lot of novelty in the idea of a 600-horsepower turbo that, you know, can't go around a corner, but... Americans have been building cars like that for years, haven't they? No, that's true. That's true. And, you know, it, it does go down the road all right, actually. I mean, you do feel the weight. You know, you do feel the weight of it, I have to admit. But it doesn't – it drives – you know, it goes around the bends fairly well, to be fair, than I can. But, I, you know, I just I just wanted to do as much motoring as I possibly could in a Porsche. Yep. Um, yeah. And I think they look good, McCanns. I've always liked the McCanns ever since they came out. So I really did want one. But uh, over here, I don't know what it was like over where you are, Mark. They they don't depreciate, so they're always expensive. Yeah, they're. They don't think. Yeah. And uh, actually, you know, you can probably tell us different. I don't think there's any such thing as a cheap McCann. Well, <laughs> no, not, not yet, yet. maybe there is. I don't know. Not yet. Not yet. No, not yet. You're right. And and um, yeah, I'm I'm. As Mark said, I'm I'm not a fan of SUVs, especially sporty SUVs. I've driven the new third gen McCann GTS. Um, I had you know I had about forty five minutes of driving one, and you know crazy performance, less than five seconds to get from zero to sixty. But you can't feel it. You can't feel when you're just doing crazy speeds, and it's luxurious. Don't get me wrong. Everything you touch, every interface that you use and and they've they've really thought out the design because just things like you know it's got some touchscreen stuff that you have to think about and which you would probably use when you were stationary but the stuff that you would use while you're driving you know the air conditioning and whatnot all of that is buttons uh so with resistance so i like that and you know this got the alcantara it's got all everything that you know it's really tactile and everything is exactly where you expect it to be if you've driven any kind of porsche from sort of 1995 onwards, you could just get in and you know where everything is. But um, but just in terms of it being a performance car, and it's the first or the only third iteration of a model, I think, in, in recent times, um, oh. that GTS was because it's the McCann Turbo, but the Turbo didn't make any sort of nice noise or let you have any pageantry with the acceleration, so they came out of the GTS 
which sounds much better once you put it into Sport Plus. So it was it was great to drive, great to try, but would I want one? Would I enjoy it more than my 911? Of course I wouldn't, but who would? Yeah. Really? Yeah, different kettle of fish, isn't it? There's always got to be a 911 yeah. or some kind of sports car in there, hasn't it? I mean, if I could afford yeah. a you know a GTS mechanic, I probably would have one, actually. Hopefully, if I could afford it, I could afford to fuel it as well. Uh, but as things stand, yeah. you know, the diesel does me okay. But every time I hear the BMW start up, it's the BMW's got the M performance exhaust. So you get cold start yeah. in the morning. Mm -hmm. So anytime, so if Mandy's using it, which she tends, she's a teacher, she uses it for school. When she starts it up in the morning, it sounds fantastic. And then I get in the in into the McCann and start it up and it doesn't really make any noise at all, just a thrum. And I always feel a little bit sad about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But there we go, you know, you can't have everything. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But did did uh, did Mandy ever drive your 997? Uh, once or twice. Once or twice. Right. Uh, yeah, I always because... think she drive it, but she was always reluctant. Ah, because um, my... My wife didn't really drive my 996 for a long time. She hadn't even been in it. She just wasn't interested. But she used to drive a Golf R. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Then, and then we, we sold the Golf R simply because we bought it brand new and the dealership said, we're going to give you tons of money for it to buy it back. And we went, okay. Um, so for I've got, I've got two small children. But then we had the 996 was our only everyday car for about four months. So she had to drive the 996 to work. And the first time she went to work, I said to her, when you get there, just drop me a text. So let me know you got there because you're not driven that car before. We're, she'd only been in it about once or twice before. So she drove to work and she sent me a text saying, made it to work. By the way, your car is shit. <laughs> and it was all to do with the fact she went, it's not nice to drive. I can't see anything. Everybody hates me on the road. No one lets me out. Every van driver wants to overtake me. Why do you drive that car? And it's just, yeah. So she 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 was not pleased. I have to admit, when I first met Mandy, I was running the 997 as my only car, which I did for about five years. Um, so when we first met, you know, that was the car I was using. You know, there was no other choice. She really wasn't impressed. She had quite a dim view of Porsches and Porsche drivers. Um, so, yeah, I, I was coming from quite a long way back on that one. Now she tolerates them, but she doesn't love them. It's interesting. Yeah. My my, uh, my wife drove the GD4 for the first time a couple of weeks ago just to go down to the local. She said, I'm just going down to the shopping centre. I'm taking your car. And I'm going, yeah, okay, right. And she, <laughs> anyway, she goes down and she hasn't driven a manual car for, I don't know, 15 years. So she gets in the into the uh, GD4 there, and it's got quite a heavy clutch. And she's a little lady. Anyway, she uh, she's gone for a few hours doing whatever she's doing down there, and comes home. She goes, "Geez, the clutch is heavy, and you know, but the gear shift is nice, and I actually quite liked it after a bit. This is uh, it goes very quickly, and it makes a lot of nice noises, doesn't it? So I, I've actually had a. I was quite surprised. She goes, "But she's getting in and out of it, not that easy, you know, to look good getting out of the car. Probably similar to the experience you had, Max." <laughs> but well, the, it sounds uh, like she really likes it. That's yeah, brilliant. it was it was quite positive. I had a GR Yaris as well for a little while, and um, oh, yeah. she did not like that at all. Getting in and out of that, you know, she drove that and thought, "Now, what? A, how dumb is this car?" But yes, I think the GD4 she's uh, much more enamoured to. 
the we haven't had a chance to talk Group C. Let's talk about that. Okay. How did it come what about? Well, Tell everyone what is it who um, doesn't know. So Group C is a passion project. I think is the is the phrase for it these days. It's a it's an art project. It's a friend of mine, Hugh Tarpy, who's a friend of mine and I, and we create. Um, we call them fine art prints, um, which are mostly uh, depicting 962 and 956 Group C Porsches. We do a couple of other bits as well, but mostly that's what it is. And they typically start as photographs that I've taken. And then Hugh, who's a graphic designer by trade, a designer, you know, he's a proper creative. He turns them into these, you know, these, the, these images, these prints that we then sell only in a very sort of low-key way. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't even got... You know, this is how untechnical I am. I couldn't even build a website on Squarespace. You know, that's how that's how that's that's how bad I am. So we haven't got a website. So people have to DM me through Instagram if they want to buy one. Other than actually, we do have them on some other people's websites. So they're on Nine Works and they're on the Motorsport magazine and you know some other things like that. So people are able to buy them oh, more easily good. than through me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and that all came about. So I met Hugh through a Porsche friend of mine. I was running um, pre-COVID. I was running a monthly cars and coffee porsche cars and coffee just down the road from me my friend duncan he turned up with his mate hugh and hugh and i struck up a friendship and uh, we got talking about art and design and graphics he was helping me brand my cars and coffee i decided i wanted to brand it yeah, i had yeah. a little go myself and it was rubbish so i asked Hugh to help me so we we kind of got talking and we started talking about art you know people like tim lazell and guy allen who do car art and we we're saying for group c because he said oh, i love group c i love the liveries i love group c uh, i went to you know i'm a child of the 80s born in 1976 went to Le Mans in 1987 when Derek Bell beat the Silkcut Jags in his Rothmans Porsche and won. So that, you know, that really, um, you know, inspired me. And and uh, and both Hugh and I said we hadn't been able to find a decent Group C car print. Not I say not decent, that's not what I mean. A print that we would like to hang on our wall. So we started talking about creating it ourselves. So that's really where it came from. Yeah, um, so um you know and some of them are just photographs that i've taken but people don't seem to want to buy the photographs they like the they like the sort of graphic art prints more so um so we do that and where it's been really good uh because neither of us have got time to really throw a lot of time and weight behind it to try and make it commercial i mean as i say we haven't even got a blooming website so that's how casual we are about it but where we do sell them and we meet people and you know sometimes i send prints to the owners of the car if i find out who owns the car and it strikes up a conversation yeah and that's what i really like about it you know we've met some really interesting people through it um and that's you know that's about as that's about as far as it goes yeah great so for, for listeners out there if you're if you want to see this um this art group c in this case, it's spelled G-R-U-P-P-E-S-E-E. So a bit of a play on words there with a C and C. Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah. yeah, look, I love graphic art, car art. I, you know, I think it's – I love it. I've got a, probably about uh, 14 or 15 Stringer posters in my garage, you know, of the 50s and 60s era. So I've always been a, a sympathiser, so I might have to uh, find a piece of that in the – uh, in the near future, getting in the garage, have you had the opportunity yeah. to um, 
be a passenger or sit into any of those nine six twos or nine five sixes? No, I haven't actually. I certainly could have done. I, I, I'm probably haunted by my Cayman experience and uh, <laughs> the thought of getting in one. Um, Especially that sill. Yeah, that, the sills are about, I don't know, about 455 and a mil yeah, wide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I've got I've got visions of coming out and sort of clobbering something and breaking something off, or something <laughs> like that. Um, so I've never, you know, I've never taken up the the opportunity. But you know, but through actually, I did again. It's, it's another social media thing. I did. There's a company called um, uh, what are they called? Katana Limited. Katana Limited. A guy called Trev Crisp. He's a bit of a sort of world authority on preparing and restoring and looking after Group C Porsches. Sure. And I, I uh, he actually lives just up the road from me. And I and I met him through a really strange connection. He's a friend of mine, nothing to do with Porsches. Posted a picture of a Group C Porsche on Facebook some years ago, a Rothmans Porsche. And I recognised where it was. It was on an industrial estate near to where I. I live and I said to him, what is that car doing there? I don't understand. Why is it, you know, how come it's there? And he said, oh, there's this guy there who restores them and looks after them. I said, you're kidding me. So I started Googling and that sort of thing and, you know, found out who it was um, and emailed the guy and struck up a conversation. Eventually, I wore him down and he said, why don't you come over? Um, so I went to the unit and... I've struck up a friendship with um, Trevor, and through him, I've met some owners of some of these cars. So that's that's also where some of the Group C art comes from. Fantastic! You know, through through Trevor, I get to meet the owners, see the cars, take the pictures that Hugh and I then turn into turn into art. So through one of those guys, I did I got a ride in a five fifty Spider, yeah, you know, yep. a genuine oh. Porsche. Yeah, well, that was pretty cool. The you know the first. Group C customer, Group C art customer, was the guy who owns uh, 956-101. So that finished third at Le Mans in 1983, Kenwood car, with the Andrettis and Philippe Alio. Um, and when we first started doing Group C art, uh, he was the first person who got in touch and said, I'd like one of those, it was of his car. So uh, I, de I decided I'd hand deliver it. So uh, I took it down to his house because I knew the car would be there. I thought it'd be fun to lean the, the picture up against the car and take a little picture of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so I went down there to see him. And in his garage, he had 956-101. He also had a um, 356 Speedster, uh, a 3-litre RSR, oh. um, and this 550 Spider. And he said, he said, let's go out in the Spider. Let's go out. So he he dragged it out of his garage. I jumped in, being quite nervous again about kicking something off with my <laughs> bloody size 11s. But I managed to get in it, and we went racing up and down, you know, this road that goes in and out of London in this um in this 550 Spider, which was incredible. Yeah, fantastic. Sliding, you know, skidding round roundabouts, and you know, I was slightly terrified and exhilarated all at the same time. Um, so yeah, stuff like that, you know, that, that sort of thing, you know, how does that sort of thing happen to a person like me? You know, it's through stuff like group C. So it's yeah, great. The, you know, that's, that's the real joy of it. Those are uh, 550 spiders. They're almost the perfect size for the English uh, country lanes, aren't they? Yeah. 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 Real little jewel of a thing, but quite quick. Um, I've, I've never been in a Lotus Elise, but I imagine it's that kind of experience you know not a lot of weight a reasonable amount of horsepower um and 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 yeah really 
and really quite special cars. You know, I didn't know that much about 550 Spiders. Uh-huh. So having been in one, mm-hmm. I was inspired to understand a bit more. I didn't realise how rare and special and valuable they are. How, you didn't understand that you were ripping around roundabouts in a multi-million pound car? No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. And, and we, we, you know, because this was like, this was a Friday afternoon. So we were doing laps of roundabouts and people were trying to get onto the roundabout. We were skidding round, sliding <laughs> round. Um, you know, it's pretty, it's it was pretty to... wild. I've got to say, it was pretty wild. Great to hear that the car's getting used, because uh, a lot of those would not be getting used that much anymore, I would imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. The guy who owns these cars, you know, he likes to keep things pretty low key, but he, he, uh, he's a driver. He, he likes to drive stuff. There's no, there's nothing. There's no garage queens for this guy. He likes to get amongst it. Yeah, how good is that? So. I've, uh, I was in a very fortunate position to um, in Auckland about three or four years ago now to get up close to 962 in, as part of a pretty comprehensive uh, private collection, and the car was restored and flown over to do um, a classic Le Mans and um, Spa as well. So it did a like, – did the rounds of all the went to um, then got flown over to do Rensport reunion, then over to Australia for Classic Adelaide, and then back to Auckland. The guy did all this in one year in that car. He bought it just to do those events. He had it restored in the UK, and then did all those events. And he's now since sold it to a collector in Melbourne. But yeah, I saw that car up close, and yeah, it was amazing. Just the tech and the sheer size of the car. It just is so purposeful. Yeah, they're incredible, aren't they? There's something, as you say, just being in the presence of a of a Group C car like that is is it's quite otherworldly, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's almost overwhelming when you, if you're a car enthusiast, you know, and you've got some comprehension of what those cars, you know, have done. You know, the and I can't even imagine what it must be like to pilot one mm. with the noise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on a slightly different topic, I've been given a company car this week. And I want to talk about how it is even remotely possible, in the opinion of the two of you, how two countries that can share a border can be so diametrically opposite in the way they actually go about designing and building cars. Because I'm driving a Renault at the moment, and it's the first French car I've really spent any time in. And I cannot for the life of me understand how French company, French car manufacturing is still a thing compared to what comes out of Germany. Like, how are these? Why would anyone ever buy a French car? I need some explanation here. Which which one are you driving? Oh, I'm just driving a van, right? But just all the ergonomics, how kooky everything is. And I've got a, I've got a oh, good comparison. I had a, I had a Volkswagen van, you know, only a few years ago, same size as this thing. But just everything, it's just, they're making it dumb for the sake of being different. Some of it, yes, certainly from Citroen. Citroen is the classic, you know, where... I mean, where there's saying that, going back, you know, the DS, the SM, the... Oh, beautiful, there's, there's design, beautiful of, design cars, right? Yeah. And even, you know, when you're sat inside them, they're just something to behold, just to look at anything and everything about them. Um, and, you know, the, the driving is almost secondary to the design and, and how you look at them. Um, but but the thing is, at the same time, they've come out with some legendary cars. You know, the Alpine, the um, the uh, you know all of the little hot hatches, the the yeah, yeah. five, the Pleasure one hundred five, the two hundred five. Sorry, 
uh, and all the the turbos that they've come out with. So all of those, and they're the you know amazing cars they've come out with, but they have had sort of ups and downs in their history where sometimes they're just churning out no. real shit. But over here, they get lapped up by uh, Max. I don't know what you think, but there's there's a period where they went through certainly Peugeot where they went through a period of just churning out these nondescript, sort of awful-looking cars that you'd never recognize driving around. They're so not on your radar. You read any magazine, they're not in there. And there's just old people driving them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for any old people listening. Um, but but, but, but the, they, they just old people driving them, driving them really slowly, driving them really badly. And then, you're, and, and then you think, but they seem to be selling lots of them. And then suddenly there's no 205s on the road. There's someone who drives, who lives locally somewhere, who drives a 1993 uh, Peugeot 205. But it's like a bog-standard five-door, yeah, bottom-of-the-range okay. yeah, problem one around here. And, and it's, but it's someone who works on a farm or something like that. So it's covered in moss. It's um, dented. Every panel is dented. But it's still going. It's still going. But are, they've got to be ch- are they cheap? I, can't, I can't, just can't for the life of me think that someone would go, go look at the Volkswagen equivalent or Ford equivalent and think, oh, no, I've got to have the Renault or I've got to have the Citroen or I've got to have the Peugeot. Who is thinking like that? See, I don't I think, know. I, I think I, it's people... I think it's people who are buying cars like they're white goods, like a fridge. You know, they're just buying... They, they need a car. They don't... They're not really interested in what it is. Maybe they're through because there's a local dealership or the finance is good or, you know, they like the colour or something. You know, they just buy it without even really thinking it in the same way that they buy their fridge freezer. I think it's those kind of people nowadays who are so, buying cars like that. So, so that consumer in Australia, he buys Japanese or Korean cars. It's either going to be Hyundai, Kia, Toyota, something like that. Right, that's that's that consumer. All those cars that yeah, they actually yeah. work though, right? Yeah, and yeah. the indicators where you think it's going to be so it's a wiper thing, and they don't have to do some funny gear shift or the HVAC systems. You know, you need a degree in art to figure out how to turn it on, compared to the French cars. Do you guys just not get those Korean cars and Jap cars in the UK? We do, we do, yeah, yeah, we get them, we get them, and people. You know, people do buy them, but um, I think people just don't do the research. They're not that well informed. They don't realise that Renaults are rubbish. <laughs> I think there's I there's think captors. Should, there's a lot of captors should, around. Think, should be yeah, captured. I reckon. Yeah. No, the the Renault capture is. Um, I had one when I was on holiday. So I went. Yep. Uh, so I went to the airport from home in my Golf Mark Four. So I had all of uh, you know. We had a child. We had lots of cases. We had a second car seat that we were going to take with us to use in the car seat in Italy. Mm-hmm. And we arrive, and they say, "Here's a Renault Capture. It's got 18 kilometers on it. It's brand spanking new." We get in, chuck our luggage in, put the car seat in, get my daughter in. I can't fit my luggage in it. And you think, well, hang on, I'm a car seat down from my Golf Mark 4. I've got less. 
but why can't I get it? And this is supposed to be a slightly, you know, pumped up SUV crossover thing. But also, I think people are buying them, and the type of people that are buying them, there must be just some real kick-ass pensioner discount or something <laughs> scheme that they're doing. These dealerships saying, like, "Come in with your, I don't know, you know, your 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 pensioner bus pass with your veterans card." And yeah, and and uh, and uh, well, I think veterans are probably more discerning, but I mean, and and getting these cars and buying, them, I I can't I can't understand it. I just, I'm baffled, I'm baffled by this car. I'm more baffled by whoever in the company thought this is a good idea to buy for the company. But anyway, that was my little rant on French cars. And I just can't, I just don't even know how the industry exists. It's just, to me. The, um, I did read that Alpine look like they're going to pull the pin again in manufacturing. What we're talking about. What? Cars. Yes. So they were planning on bringing out another model that no one will buy again because... You know, it's just a French version of a Cayman. It's not as good as a Cayman, but costs more, right? And the um, those new A110s, everyone drives them, loves them, but no one wants to buy one. So, so uh, technically brilliant, but commercially a flop. Yes. Have you had the opportunity to drive one That's at the all? French motor industry summed up, isn't it? <laughs> Historically. Yeah. yeah, technically brilliant. I actually, I suspect... After considering the French car thing to bring up in this discussion, that French cars in general peaked with the CV. Was, I've, I've, dri I've driven one and I actually reckon this is not a bad car. So if you're going to drive a car, at least it's got some personality, right, with the flip-up windows and stuff like that. But yeah. I, there's not a lot of highlights after that, especially the way the gear shift works on it. I reckon it was pretty special. I used to have. Uh, I've owned a Citroen. Of course, you have. Uh, it was, it was a one liter Citroen AX. <laughs> and, Is it really? And and I remember when it was a long time, pretty about twenty years ago, and I bought it off a friend's sister because I didn't have a car, hmm. and I thought oh, I could really do with a car uh, because I lived not in the middle of a city or a town. Oh, I could do with the car, and I was around my friend's house, and there was this Citroen X parked on the drive, just chatting to her. And she went, "Oh, you could have that for three hundred quid. It belongs to my sister." And I went, "Great." Phoned her sister. She went, "Yeah, you can take it." And I drove it for probably about a year, and I spent quite a bit of money, you know, just getting it through the MOT and stuff like that. And then the cam belt broke, so you know it's knackered. So I just stick it on eBay. I stick it on eBay, and I say, you know, whatever, no reserve. If it sells, you just need to come and get it within 48 hours. So some guy, I sell it for 41 pounds and 32 pence. And <laughs> so some guy turns up, takes it away, and obviously he fixes it within a few days. And then his wife phones me four days later and said, oh, we just bought this car off you. Uh, my husband's fixed it. And he said you really liked it. Do you want to buy it back for 500 pounds? And I, and I went, what? Why, why would I do that? Why wouldn't I pay two hundred pounds to have it just fixed? <laughs> so yeah, I, it was. That's the only, uh, only French car I've ever owned. What about you, Max? Have you been in the uh, own any French tragedies? I have got a French car confession. Um, so the only non-German car that I've ever owned 
was it was a similar situation. I didn't have a car um, and I moved house and it was all but not having a car was tricky. And I bought a Renault 19 um, from there was a, like, a used car lot just around the corner from where I was living in, in High Wycombe. And it was there and it wasn't very much money. And I just bought it. Um, and it was pretty unremarkable. I suppose the 19 is a golf sized car. Yep, so yep. I should have just had another golf. But I had this Renault 19. The clutch cable snapped. Um, and it was just, yeah, it was just a complete non-event, really. Had it for a little while and traded it in against a uh, Mark II Golf GTI in the end, oh, which is fantastic. Good decision. But so I got back on so, track. So it wasn't the 16, it wasn't the 16 valve? Um, the Renault, no, it was a 1.4. <laughs> Um, it was the complete ordinary, you know, boggo one. It was, uh, yeah, completely unremarkable car. Um, but there we go. Yeah. Why did it go wrong for the French motor industry then? Do you think it was, you know, the like the 205 and the, uh, you know, the 10, Peugeot 106 GTI and stuff like that? Maybe it was when safety regulations came in and cars had to get a bit heavier and... Yeah, you know, safer and that sort of thing. Maybe the French motor industry lost its way then because they were the last really great French cars, weren't they? They, they were small, quick, fun hatchbacks. Yeah, I think. yeah, because they, they had the, Yep, yeah, I think you might I be mean, right. Because they, they did a few, didn't they? They, they did the one hundred uh, one hundred six rally and the two hundred five rally, and yeah. then you know they, um, the the four hundred five. What was that? MI something. That's thing. It sounds like a machine gun, but um sounds like the CIA. There was those yeah, and the 306 GCI. Yeah, yeah, that's a decent good car. car. Not as pretty as just after five, that, but a good car. Yeah, and then after that, it became the the design became a bit bland. So Mark, you saying it was a little bit out there before. I think once they stopped being out there and they just became run of the mill. They were they were really bland, and and I think their sales were better than ever when they were bland, because they got certain demographics started buying them. Um, but then that, I think that's when they lost their way. So yeah. now you look at it and you know name a, name a good new Peugeot. I don't possibly. They were want. probably kept afloat by their by their uh, uh, domestic markets because the French are very partisan, aren't they? And they like to buy yeah. French cars. Yeah. And France is quite a big country. There's a lot of people there. So, you know, there's a lot of people buying Citroëns, Renaults and, per Renaults and Peugeots in France, and maybe that's just about enough yeah, I think for them. Right. I don't know. Yeah, yeah probably. But, and, you know, the export market may just be token enough to justify it, but they've gone to trouble to put a steering wheel on the other side. Well, no, that's yeah. true. That's true. You're right. So, You're right. anyway, um, that's uh, French cars. Ajmal, what you don't realise... Through communication between Max and I, we have some things in common that aren't to do with cars. And I'm scared is, to ask what those are. Yeah, we, um, we both have dash hounds. Because every good a dog German ride. car enthusiast should have a German dog. Indeed. Uh, I, uh, most people would say that's a German shepherd. <laughs> what an Alsatian. <laughs> Not a we we hear that. Okay. Not a dash hound. <laughs> what are you talking about? We got a dash hound a couple That's of doors. Dog. <laughs> we got a, a couple. We got a couple of dash hounds down the road here from us as well, and one of them's called Herman the German. 
<laughs> Which I thought was quite a funny name. Herman the German was. Yeah. Herman the, the German um, was a guy on um, Wheeler Dealers that Mike Brewer went to Germany to buy it. Like was he really? 300 SL. Maybe that's where the name came from. Isn't he? I don't know. <laughs> That's funny. Anyway, he's got a couple of beauty dogs. You should check out his dogs on Instagram. I reckon they're good-looking little bandits. Um, yeah. The what else have I got listed here on my things? Oh, Ajmal, have you done any work on your car, either car since we last spoke? Yes. Let's yes. talk about it. Come on, you've, something's got to get done to this nine nine six, so it doesn't become like the box turd. So, 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 so. Um... You know, last week I realised that both of my cars had run out of MOT. Um, and my wife was about to go away somewhere. And obviously we had the cold snap where everything was frozen. Sure. And uh, and you know when you just think, am I missing something? Should I have MOT? And, I, and, and they both ran out within a day of each other. Yep. So I quickly booked them in. And uh, what happens is the day before I'm due to take our you know, daily wagon and the car that goes to the tip. Now, Max, that car is a 2009 Audi A3 1.6 diesel with 182,000 miles on it. Um, oh, trooper. I like it. And, and, and it's, you know, it's perfectly comfortable. Um, it looks very presentable. But anyway, I'm about to take it for its first MOT because we only bought it at the beginning of the year. And I get new tyres. I get the fracking done. It's already had pads. We've had a cam belt done, water pump, all of that. And um, the day before, a bulb, a headlight bulb goes. And so I think, fine, I'll go and buy a set anyway, because they're not very bright. I'll get the new uh, super mega bright ones. And it turns out to change a bulb in a headlight on an Audi A3, you need the hands and wrists of a double jointed elf. And so it's so it's you know minus three degrees outside and i'm struggling with this i'm shredding my hands i'm effing and blinding you know there's blood pouring out of my hands like i'm you know like stigmatas or something i'm sorry if i'm blaspheming the lord um and they can't do it so i take it to the garage and take it in he he does it for me the bulbs are just hanging in the headlights so he does it for me and the car comes out with no advisories just through the MOT with 182,000 miles, great. Take the 911 the next day, and he goes, I'm afraid of, I had to fail it. And it's like, my heart sinks. And he said, it's the rear tires. And you know when you go, oh, that rings a bell. I think they were an advisory on last year's MOT. <laughs> They're almost gone. And you, you know what you think? I, I totally forgot about that. So I think, right, fine, I'll go and get them. Look on all the regular websites, do all of that, and I can't find them anywhere. And when I can find them, they are £270 each. So Is that an acceptable number for you? That's a massive number. I bought a front one two and a half years ago for 120 quid. And they're they're Pirelli P0s. Yeah. You see what I'm dealing with here, Max? £270 each. No, no, 270 pounds each is what they are on the back. Yeah. So, it, they, and you know, I'm getting the standard Pirelli P0 N4 uh, Porsche tire. So, Lee told me, Lee Sibley said to me, don't go for the Pilot Sport. But I thought, I'm not going to change all four of them. I'm just going to change the back two because the front ones are quite new. <laughs> and so I then end up, and, and you know, I, when I take the car to the MOT station, it's minus four outside. So I have to I have to pour hot water on the doors so I can open them 
because they're stuck to the seals. So when I pull the the handle, the glass can't come down to go past the seal, and yeah. it's stuck to the seal. I pour water on it, wait for it to. Then when I get inside, obviously I start it up. It hasn't been driven for a couple of weeks, so it does the. But it fires up, which is great. I have to scrape the inside of the screen, so it looks like it's snowing in the car. And then I, I was take it down there, so you know he fails it. But anyway, I managed to find some tires and I had limited time. So I managed to go and get the tires, take it back for MOT. And I'm really gutted because when I just before I changed the tires, I really wanted to go to a car park and do some donuts. And the old tires. Yes. And I didn't do that. And I'm really disappointed now because yes, I, I don't know if you can, uh, 996, you know, can you do a donut without like, making it explode? Max, have you ever done a donut in one of your Porsches? No, I haven't actually, but you'd have been fine. Yeah, wouldn't you? You'd have been fine. Yeah. Those things are run those things are run to the rev limiter all day. Yeah. Yeah, turn traction control off, do that. So I'm really disappointed that I, I didn't get to do that. But it's got it's new nice tires on it now. So tires, I also though. Yeah, not on the new tire. So I have changed the size of the tires on the back as well. Have you? Because well, yeah, because they, they had two six fives on the back, and everywhere I looked and all of the data that I could find, they, it said they should be two eight five. And every time, anytime someone saw my nine six, they went, "Is that lowered? Is it lower than it? It looks lower than it should be." And, and I thought, "No, it's not. It's standard." And now that I've put the rough size tires on it, it looks, it looks like it sits right. So and it, and you could tell the difference when you're driving it because potholes, Max, as you know, in the UK, the roads are awful. So it now means that when I drive, it's not as bone shaking as it used to be. So and I'm less likely to get myself killed in the ice on the icy roads. So it's a it's been a productive week. Good to hear. That sounds like the best five hundred and forty quid you you could have spent on the car. Actually, you know, you've you've got the correct tires on it. You've got new tires. Yep. You've got good tires. It's brilliant. It's yeah, really well spent. And, I, and I got them. I got them a bit cheaper. I got them for two hundred and twenty-eight pounds each. So four hundred and fifty-six for two, fully fitted, balanced, all of that. And uh, I got them from Burfield Tires in Reading. Then this is not a sponsored They're thing. Not but a paid if anybody sponsor. wants to sponsor us, okay. that's great. They're not a paid sponsor. Um, so it was, yeah, I guess that was, I guess that was okay. Yeah. Kind of. Oh yeah. Sounds like you're doing okay there. And when yeah. you get some decent weather and it's a little bit warmer and you get some temperature into them, the car will probably drive loads better than it did before. Hmm. Yeah. Cause I've, I've, I drive it so intermittently at the moment. I'm, I'm always annoyed at myself because, because you know what it's like. They, they drive better the more you drive them. And when I first got it, a lady owned it and she just didn't drive it. She used to do about a thousand miles a year in it. And so when I first got it, I thought, I don't know what the big fuss is about 911s. They're just bleh. So, but then I drove it every day. I used to drive the wheels off it wherever I went. And then the one day I woke up, I was driving to work and it just, everything just clicked. It just sounded better. It drove better, accelerated better. And it's been like that ever since. But since, probably about well since we got this day-to-day -day wagon i hardly go anywhere when i do i'm with my family so we all go in that wagon every now and again we'll all go in the 911 but my daughter is eight 
and the other one's four, but her seat is behind the passenger seat, her child seat, and my eight-year-old sits behind. And she has legs, so it means I have to put my seat really far forward, and I've yeah. sat with my knees either side of the steering wheel, so it's never an enjoyable drive. Um, but I, I need to get out more and drive it more. Now yeah. that it's all the brakes are sorted, I've had new discs and pads, um, I've got the tyres, MOT's done, I need to just get out and drive it more. Good, good, good reason. Right. I think there's no going. doubt. There's no doubt that cars benefit from being used, without a doubt. Yes. And also, I think 911s, particularly, the more you drive your 911, the better you drive it as well, I think. Yes. So, uh, you know, no, it's, it's a virtuous circle. You know, the car's better for being used, and you're better for driving it more, I think. What about, what about you, Max? You do work on your own cars? No, 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 no. I'm, uh, I'm about as mechanically minded uh, uh, as I am tech savvy on this computer. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> no, 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 I don't, I don't touch it. I've maybe changed a bulb back in the day on my Mark II GTI. Yep. Uh, when it was easy, you know, when you just pop the back off and, you know, it just, uh, it was all very straightforward. But no, <laughs> not these days. No, I go, uh, I come over your way, actually, Ashman. I, I go to Right Tune with the 991 oh, here yes. in Wallingford. Over in Wallingford, yeah. so that's not, not not a million miles from you. Um, yeah, I've seen Lee drive past a few times on the roads, and he's always yeah. coming or going to Right Tune. Yeah, it's it's funny actually in terms of uh, secret things in common. Mark and I have the miniature Daxon thing, and uh, I also lived in Reading. I lived in Reading for fifteen years. So, uh, oh wow. So, so oh, I'd, have, I'd have been I'd have been spinning around in my nine nine seven back in the day. You might have seen, might have seen me. I'd have been at good times. Lamborghini in Pangbourne with my face pressed up against the window, <laughs> or, or at Porsche Centre Reading, sitting in cars that I couldn't afford. They well, they had. Uh, I was saying to Mark last time uh, they had a Miura in um, in the Lamborghini window the other week. Oh wow! Um, yeah, special. Which was, <laughs> Pretty, just you know, it's a thing when you're walking past and you just look at it and go, Oh my god, is that what I think it is? And you're looking at it and thinking, That is it's ridiculous. When you know, when you see something like that, you when you're talking about the 550, it's a similar thing, isn't it? When you see something like that and it's just the just you're looking at its form and everything about it, and you just think, I can't, can't quite comp compute what I'm looking at here because yeah. it's so out there. Yeah. Um, but the the one thing I was going to ask you, Max, is, uh, was your nine nine seven PDK? No, no, no. It was manual. It was it was, it was an early early nine nine seven September uh, two thousand four car. So it was a fifty four reg in UK terms. Oh. So uh, yeah, nine nine seven C two coupe manual. So the three six rather than the three point eight motor. Basalt oh black. wow! Really, really nice car. Really, really nice car. I had it for nine and a bit years. Can you hear a, oh, bit, wow. of, can you hear a bit of regret in his voice about selling it, I think? No. I'll tell you what, I couldn't... I never thought it, that it would be worth as much as it was when I sold it. Yeah, OK. Um, and I had the both of them for about, about six months. You know, I bought the 991 before I sold the, the 997 because I was a little nervous, Mark, about letting the 997 go. Um, but I'd had... Mm. I had the 997 for such a long time and done so many miles in it 
I don't know, I quite fancy trying something different. Yeah, okay. Um, and once I got the 991, I found that I wasn't using the 997. I was having to think of reasons to to use it, you know, because I wanted to keep using it. I didn't want it just to sit there and and suffer from not being used. And in the end, I thought, you know, I, I thought I'd I'd love having more than one 911. I thought, you know, that's like the dream, isn't it? You start buying cars without selling other cars and suddenly you've got a collection of Porsches. <laughs> but I, I started yeah. to find it a bit of a burden financially and time-wise and space-wise. Mm. So when it turned out to be worth, you know, because of the, you know, the peculiarities of the used car market during during yeah. lockdown, when it turned out to be worth a little bit more than I thought it was, I thought, okay, let's 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 let it go. But that has where the regret, I suppose, is it it, it did leave us with no manual transmission cars. So I haven't driven a manual for over a year now. And I have to admit, I do wow. I do have a hankering. Oh, actually, I tell you, actually, what I have a hankering for is a 987 Boxster manual. That's what I really fancy at the moment. Because yeah, um, yeah. I, do, I do fancy a manual. I fancy a drop top. And I think that's a Boxster. I don't want a box turd, though. I'd like, <laughs> one, that, I'd like one that works. I was gonna, I was... I'd like a nice one. Nice one. Max, I was going to ask, Max, with the 991 compared to the 997... Do you drive? Do you drive the nine nine one or use it the same way you use the nine nine seven? Because you know the nine nine one's a bigger car. It's PDK. If anything, it's probably a bit more Grand Tourer than the nine nine seven was, which is a bit more you know with the stick shift and the um, you know smaller, tighter body. I was just curious yeah. about how the use of the cars for you. One of the one of the reasons why I fancied the change was that i mean as i said before i i used i had the 997 as my only car for five years and i was doing a lot of business more and I'd, i did seventeen thousand miles in the first year with the 997 wow. so i was doing a lot of motoring in it yep and i started to find you know as we had other you know we had the bmw and you know we had a golf r as well Ashmore for a while so you know we, we, we had some other cars and i started to find that i wasn't using the 997 as much as i had done previously because it was starting to feel a bit old. You know, sometimes it being manual was a chore. You know, the sat-nav was rubbish. Yep, it yep. didn't have dab radio. Um, so it was great for blasting about in, but I didn't use it as much as I had done previously and as much as I wanted to. So um, I used the 997 more because it fits better into my life to be able to use it for more things. Um, and I... I mean, I, I I think the 991 is a real chameleon of a 997. You know, it's super refined and you can cruise about in it and it's really very nice. But, you know, you put it in sport and you get on the paddles, sports exhaust on, and it's it's better at going fast than the 997 was. Yeah, OK. Yep. So it's got it's, it's got a better, it's got more of a, a, of a breadth. I said to Lee once, sometimes I'd find if I was going into London and I, I needed to go to the station in the morning i'd want to be in the bmw because i was tired it's a bit cold i just want to be in um you know auto and cruising along and then in the evening when i got back from london i'd want to have a good blast home and i'd, and I'd want to be in the 997 yeah yep. so i'd often find myself in the wrong car but with the 991 i'm always in the right car yeah okay yep okay good yeah, great good so, great insight you know it's it is good but uh, one thing I do miss about the 997 is it gives up its 911 idiosyncrasies, if that's a word. It gives them up more easily. 
and at lower speed than the 991 does. You know, the 991, you can travel more quickly and be wowed by its capability, but you're traveling that much more quickly when it starts to, you start to feel those, mm. you know, the idiosyncrasies of the platform, you know, and the location of the engine and all that sort of thing. You get all of that from the 991. You know, people say you don't. I think that's because they're not driving their cars hard enough, but it means you are tramping on, you know, when, yep. when, when, it's, yep. when it starts to give you that, I think. So I do miss one of the things I miss about the 997, mine being a 36, is it had a really nice amount of power for the UK. UK roads, you know, it's 320 odd horsepower, and you could really leather it along and feel like you are making the most of the motor without going crazy fast. You know, the 991, especially with PDK, is quite a bit faster. And then, you know, if you really drive that hard, you, you're going quite fast. Yep. So, yeah, As you know, from, there are things I do, there are things I miss. Aside from the power, do you think also because the cars, the newer cars are actually physically built better that they remove you further from a lot of the sensations? You know, like the noise, the, um, and when I say noise, I'm talking tyre noise, engine noise, air passing over the car noise. Um, whereas, you know, a lot of the newer cars have got better glass in them and all these sorts of things over the last 20 years or, you know, 15 years between the cars yeah. that, you're just getting further removed from all the sensations. Like, you know, you buy 356, so you're, you know, you may as well be driving a go-kart in comparison to what yeah. the Cayman's like, you know, because of how well sealed it all is and things like yeah. that. I'm just curious about, you know, your insight on that topic. I did have a funny little experience uh, about that actually. A few years ago um, when I had the 997, I went to meet Lee. Uh, he, he was up my way uh, doing a feature for T911. And I said, I'll go along and meet him and have a coffee and hang out and that sort of thing. He was doing a Carrera S feature. So he he had someone who had a 997.1 Carrera S. He was borrowing a 991.1 C2S from RPM Technic. And he had the then new 992 C2S press car. Um, and he had a photographer with him and all that sort of thing. So I turned up and he said, actually, Max, it'd be really helpful if you could drive the C2 at the 992. So I spent the morning and a bit of the afternoon bombing around in this brand new 992 C2S, then got back in my 997, had to go home. And I was driving down the, the dual carriageway and I thought that the, first of all, I thought that the windows weren't closed properly because of the noise, <laughs> as you say, Mark. So I, you know, I did my window and then I did the passenger window, nothing wrong there. Then I thought, God, what's going on? I thought, oh God, maybe the, maybe the windscreen seal's gone. You know, maybe something, you know, and in the end, I realised that it was just the NVH, the noise, vibration and harshness was just another league in the 992 compared to the 997, just in the wind noise. It was so much noisier than I ever appreciated, um, you know, just those two two generations on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you know, cars are more refined without a doubt. And I, I, I think that it's to the, the driving experience you know, it's a detriment of the driving experience for a lot of us, you know, enthusiasts particularly. Like, I, don't get me wrong, when it comes to your daily, we'd all like an electric Rolls Royce, right? But the reality is, you know, if you do want a bit of uh, zing at some point when you're behind the wheel and not, you know, get those photos taken that they yeah. then send you a fine associated with, uh, having the louder cars or the noisier cars so to speak you don't have to go as fast you know that point you brought up about the 320 horsepower 
like I've got less than 100 in the 356 and I can drive that thing around and get as much zing out of that as I do out of the GD4, which is punching out about 400 horsepower at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Some, something I often think about and I've never been managed and I, I never managed to actually bring it to my garage is I think about having older, technically less competent, slower, but more characterful cars. You know, I think about trying to have an air-cooled 911, get a 993 or a 964. But when it comes to it, when it comes to actually spending the money, because they're quite expensive cars nowadays, I can't bring myself to buy a car that can't fit in and work like a Golf. Sure. I just can't I just can't manage to do it. So that's one of the reasons why I ended up going forward to the 991, because I want, if I'm going to put so much money into something... I feel like I want to be able to use it as as a car, um, yeah. but I know in doing so I'm missing out on some of you know the experience you get in the three five six. You know I'm missing out on that. I think maybe that's what I'm thinking about with this Boxster idea. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it um, could be a good, you know, good ring. There's actually a really yeah. nice black um, nine eight seven Spider at the local Porsche Centre at the moment. It's got not yeah. many kilometres on it. It is a good looker too. Yeah. One of my friends over here, Nick Jeffrey, he's bought one of those. It, it's a PDK, um, which, you know, a lot of people would think it's not the right gearbox for that car, but, you know, that suits Nick. And he absolutely loves it. He says it's a real zinger of a car. Really fantastic thing. Yep, good one. All right, then, well, uh, it's been great having a chat and um, hear your insights and, um, you know, your experiences and uh, with the cars there and your opinions on French cars. And, and um, it's been great having a chat all around, and, um, Max. So we're grateful for your time. I understand it's uh, getting late in the evening there, and I'll be honest with you, I've got to uh, think about starting work shortly. So and get stuck into my uh, day. It's a real pleasure, guys. It's a real pleasure. Thank you for getting in touch and inviting me along. Now, if you didn't have to cut us off and go to work, I'd keep chatting until for another two hours at least. <laughs> That's, uh, well, I, I would. Go, I would go and get another cognac because I've not got one over now. You, you yeah, could do the bottle. So yeah. And Mark, if if we did that, if we stayed on long enough for Ashmore to drink that much cognac, we could get him on eBay or Auto Trader and get him to buy the cheapest, the cheapest KN Turbo. No, or cheapest, the cheapest Lamborghini <laughs> in the country. What was that, Ashmore? Yeah, what was it, Ashmore? Yes, it was a. Okay, so it was the cheapest Lamborghini on Auto Trader. Yep. Is mm. a Gallardo Spider 5 litre V10. And it was actually. First, Max, give me a guess. How much do you think? Uh, not so good on the prices, but I got the model right, so I'll take that. I'll take that prize. I don't know how much is it. Is it I'll, sixty grand or something? Can it I'll, be that I'll, little? I reckon seventy-two thousand pounds. Uh, sixty-two thousand nine hundred ninety. Good job, Max. All right. Uh, and Gosh, that that's is still a quite two thousand and. Well, that's two thousand and six model with 32,000 miles on it. Well, anyway, wow. look, it's, well, it sounds it's like we've got more to talk about, Max, so we might get you on again in the future if you can fit us into your busy existing podcast schedule. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd really, yeah, that would be really good fun. Please sounds do. Good. Yeah, thank you. Okay, boys, well, thank you uh, very much for your time and listeners out there, thank you for listening if you got this far into our podcast. As always, okay. follow us on uh, Instagram, Ajmal, Flat Cat Driver. I'm Mark and Cars. That's Mark with a C. And Follow Max, who's got a pretty curious Instagram handle. Max, let's hear it. Max Ripcore. Ripcore. We'll talk to you about that next time. Thank you very yes. much, everyone. Thanks, guys. Thank you.
pas vrai. 